Yeah. So we're, uh, Matt, he's going to be speaking to us tonight from Matthew 6. We're going to be reading from Matthew 6, uh, chapter 6, verses 5 through to 8. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Great. Thanks very much, Major. Okay, well, good to be here tonight and great to be getting started on this series that will be going through the next three Sunday nights. So at the moment, as Jonathan was saying earlier on, a series on prayer, um, three in the morning on John chapter 17 and three at night, starting tonight, the next couple of weeks, going through some things that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, otherwise known as that batch Matthew 5 to 7, what's it called? Sermon on the Mount, that's it, he's been to Bible college, great. Okay, Sermon on the Mount, so some great words there of what Jesus says. Now, um, Ken has got a handout for us, Have you, has everyone got a handout so far? Hopefully you got one as you came in the door. If you haven't got one, please put your hand up now and Ken will come round um, at the speed of a thousand startled gazelles, racing around to um, give one to everybody, grab a pen too. Um, there's a few things that will help you to follow along through the sermon excuse me, through the sermon, and um, also a couple of reflection questions to think about as we talk tonight. Remember that when we preach, when we read the Bible, it's not just about hearing some ideas, but it's about really absorbing it, being challenged by it, and reflecting upon it for your personal life. So hopefully that will help you to do that. And the first thing you'll see on your little handout there is the question, why do you think this series will be worthwhile? I thought, I won't ask, do you think it will be worthwhile? Because you probably wouldn't have come if you thought that. But you're here, which is good. Amen. So um, why do you think it will be worthwhile? Um, it's going to be very worthwhile doing a series on prayer. The main reason being, because being a Christian is all about being in a relationship with God. It's not that we've just decided to become members of a club that gets together and hangs out on a Sunday night. But the key thing for us as a group of people, as God's people, is that we have received God's forgiveness um, by the death and resurrection of Jesus, which we celebrate in communion. So we can be in a relationship with God. And that relationship with God is all about being accepted by God and being able to come to him with a sense of confidence because we know that he loves us and he's forgiven us. Now think about being in a relationship, whether it's a, just a friendship, a couple of friends, maybe it's a going out together, a romantic sort of thing, maybe it's even being married together. What is that one thing that really holds that relationship together? Sorry? Communication. Yeah, that's what we're looking for. That was the answer I was looking for. It's communication that brings you together and it's communication that really holds it together. 
Without communication, you can't meet people and you can't grow in your friendship and you can't sustain friendships with people. Now think about, what if you, you had this task, like a mission or a challenge a friend gave you one night and said, we want you to go and meet this person and become friends with them, but there's a catch. You're not allowed to communicate with them one bit in any way, shape or form. Would you then be able to meet that person and start a friendship with that person? You're not allowed to communicate with them at all. So you can't talk to them. You can't kind of give any non-verbal language. You can't shake their hands. You might think, oh, I know. I can't communicate with them. What I'll do, I'll send them an email. Oh, gee, that's communication too. So you really can't do it. You can't start a relationship and you can't sustain a relationship with anybody without communicating. Um, if the communication is good, then chances are the relationship is good and if the communication is, is poor, then the relationship is going to be struggling. Now, prayer, of course, is the way that we communicate with God. God is so amazing, so wonderful, so awesome. He's given us so much and he wants to give us more in the future. So we don't just want to have like a distant relationship or like a token relationship with him, um, but we want to have a relationship with God that is as good as possible. We want to be as close as possible and we want to grow in that relationship. We also want to make sure that we're relating to God in the way that he wants us to. So here in these verses that we're going to be looking at tonight um, that Mason read for us and on the next two Sunday nights, we get to see some really crystal clear direction from God, from Jesus, about how we should pray. There's a few do's and don'ts that we should do well to follow and along the way we'll also see there's a few very helpful things, a few helpful bits of information which get dropped in along the way. So first, setting the context of this passage here in Matthew chapter 6. Now, the first couple of chapters of Matthew's gospel, it's all about Jesus' birth and his early years and a few things that, in a sense, kind of preceded his ministry. It was just really starting to get going. Then John the Baptist prepares the way. Jesus is baptised. Then he goes to the time, time of testing, of temptation from Satan. He passes the test. He stays strong through all that. Then Jesus begins to preach and he calls his first disciples and starts to heal the sick. And as he starts his ministry, the crowds come flocking to see what is going on. Now this could be because everyone was so interested in what he had to say. But more likely, and being a bit cynical, it was probably more that everyone just wanted to know what was going on. People were being healed of lifelong diseases and sickness sicknesses as well as demons being cast out. At the end of chapter 4 of um, Matthew's Gospel, we read that crowds were coming from all over the place, all over the region in the exact words. The news was out and people wanted to find out what in the world was going on. People wanted to see some miracles and of course people would have been thinking of all the things that this fantastic person could have done from them. Either them or maybe someone they know might have had a broken arm or a broken leg. They thought, maybe Jesus can help us out with that. Oh, I've been having terrible headaches for the last few months. Maybe this guy can sort out that problem for us. Kids have got the flu at the moment. Got a friend who's paralysed. Maybe even Jesus might be able to give me something. But just this sense that something fantastic and amazing and out of the ordinary is going on and maybe people could get something from Jesus. And I think that's partly why there were so many people flocking to see Jesus. There's no doubt Jesus had drawn an enormous following. Most people probably had no idea who he was 
or what he was on about. They just knew that something really special was going on and they didn't want to miss out on the action. And I think as that was happening, Jesus could really see and could really sense what was going on. And he was probably thinking, I reckon this could start to get a bit silly pretty soon and get a bit messy. Let's get a few things sorted out. Let's get a few things straight so we can get on the road on the right track. So Jesus calls his disciples together and he sits them down for their first really serious batch of teaching. He sat down because he had a fair bit to say and he would have told them to get comfortable. And I'm sure that as many people as possible would have been crowding in around the edges trying to hear what was being said. And then as Jesus started speaking, I reckon a few people were probably disappointed. They're probably thinking, Jesus, get on with the show. We want to see some wild stuff here. We want to see some stuff that's out of the blue, that's a bit different to normal. Some people would have been more interested than others. And gradually, as he was speaking, I reckon some people would have started to slip away, probably saying, I wish you'd just get on with the good stuff that we came here for. But as Jesus spoke, the faithful would have pressed in closer and closer and been hanging on his every word and wanting to see how they could follow that as best they could. They knew, they could just sense and see it so easily that this Jesus was from God and that he was giving them some insights and instruction which were going to be of enormous value, not just for this life, but for beyond death. Jesus' teaching and instruction really was out of this world. It was truly from heaven. It was something different. Jesus spoke about the kingdom of heaven, and that's the real central theme of the Sermon on the Mount, the kingdom of heaven. Or as some of the gospel writers say, the kingdom of God. It's talking about the same thing, whether it's the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. It's just how the writer chooses to talk about it. And when we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, it's not just about talking about some place, like some geographical location that you can kind of go to and be at. But the kingdom of heaven is referring to God's reign. It's talking about when God is the king, when he is in charge, and when people are following his ways, then this is what life is like. And that's what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6 and 7. When God is the King, when He's being glorified and praised as God, this is what life is going to be like. This is how people are going to be acting, how they're going to be relating to each other and how they're going to be relating to God. So Jesus takes the time to talk through some particular examples, tells us how we, th- how we should think and how we should behave and also a few things that we should not do. Now in Matthew 6 verse 5, which is the first one of the verses for tonight, Jesus moves on to this topic of prayer. And the first thing he does, he doesn't tell us what to do, he tells us what not to do and how not to pray. So from that you can guess that there was a lot of people who were praying in the wrong way. Now back in the Middle East 2,000 years ago, Praying was a very common thing to do, much more common than it is in 21st century Australian society. People all throughout society would look up to those who were highly religious or very involved in places of worship. So at times you would see people out there praying in really public places, like on the side of the road, on a corner, maybe on the roundabout, or in the marketplace, in the shopping centre. You don't really see that these days, do you? Has anyone seen that recently? Like someone in the shopping centre praying really loudly, trying to draw attention to themselves? You don't see it very much. 
And if you did see it, you probably would not think highly of that person, would you? You would just think, this guy's a lunatic. What is going on? So it's a different society here today. But Jesus' point for us today is still the same. That is, don't pray, whether it's in church or Bible study or anywhere else, don't pray just because you want people to notice you. That's his first point. Don't pray just because you want people to notice you. And Jesus uses the phrase here, he says, when you pray. So he assumes that people will pray. Praying is a really normal part of life. And they were very kind of society that really had a consciousness of God and wanted to seek him on things. So it's just a question of where, for how long, and for what reasons a person will pray. And one of Jesus' main instructions in this point is that we should not be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the hypocrites. Now the Greek word that's used in verse 5 here for hypocrite is the word that is used for actor. So Jesus is saying, when you pray, don't be an actor. Don't get up there and do stuff which is out of your personality and not stuff that you really mean. But if and when you are going to pray, do it because it's from the heart and because it's who you are. Don't put on a show for me. Don't put on a show for anyone else. There is no point doing that. And in the verses just before this passage, in the start of John chapter 6, Jesus has got a very similar message there, but it's not about the topic of prayer, it's about the topic of giving money. He says to them, guys, don't do your giving of money just to put on a show. Don't do it just so that someone will see you doing it and think, oh, isn't that guy cool for putting some money in? He says, don't be like the hypocrites who do it so they can be honoured by other people. In the same way, if you pray and you're praying for the wrong reasons, then it's really going to be a waste of time. If someone's getting up to pray just because they want to be noticed by other people, then you might have people ooing and ahhing and saying, oh, wasn't that a cool phrase you just used there? And people thinking how godly you are and how well you pray. People might think that and you might be able to fool people. But you're not going to fool God, are you? God knows your heart. He knows your reasons for doing things. And if you're doing a prayer, whether it's at Bible study or church or anywhere else, partly because you want people to notice you praying, do you think God's going to answer that sort of prayer? Maybe. Maybe not. Probably not. And are those prayers the sort of ones where God is going to really change your heart and really work in your life as you pray? Not so much. If you are praying just because you want to get noticed as being a good prayer, then you're going against God's ways. And in the end, you won't really achieve much that's worthwhile at all. So Jesus' first teaching on prayer is to say, don't do it just for show. Do it because it's from the heart. Do it because it's who you are. Now in life, people often do things for the wrong reasons. And we've got a little reflection question there for you about halfway down the page. Is there a time in your life when you have done something for the wrong reasons? I won't get you to stand up here and share it in front of all of us. It could be quite funny if we did. I'm sure we'd hear a few good stories. But think about that. Each one of us have sometimes done things for the wrong reasons. And when people do, when I do or when you do, the person who does it nearly always loses out. You get yourself into a world of hurt sooner or later and come to regret your actions. 
Now, next question, what sort of things do people do for the wrong reasons? Well, there's probably quite a few different things. A few of the first ones that came to my mind. One is doing something risky to show off to friends. That's something which can endanger your life, can endanger your health, and you might look really cool when you do it, but you can really get hurt. Um, Where I grew up and I went to a high school where nearly everybody went to university after that, and I think some of those people were going to university just to keep up appearances. So they could say, yep, I'm going to uni, and it's Sydney Uni or New South Wales, and yes, I'm doing medicine, or I didn't quite make it to medicine, but I did make it to law, and all these people going and doing those degrees just because they got the marks and thought, well, I should go and do it then. And for the people who did it for the wrong reasons, they probably didn't make it all the way through their degree. I occasionally meet people who've joined the army for, wrong re- for the wrong reasons. Surprise, surprise. And um, they sign the six-year contract saying they'll stay in for six years. They get 18 months in and think, I really joined for the wrong reasons. That's a bit of a sticky situation for them and it's a hard one to get out of. Sometimes people say they joined because they just wanted to get far away from their parents. If you want to get far away from your parents, the army can be a good way to do that and get a few thousand kilometres away. Other people sometimes join because they want to prove themselves in different ways. Some people dress in particular ways because they want to prove themselves in one way or another. Some people buy an expensive car just so they can have the status of owning that type of car. Um, During the year I met a guy who was an 18 year old, had no savings at all, not a very big salary and he had a $30,000 debt because he wanted to own the most fantastic car of all his mates. And now he finds himself paying $5,000 a year in insurance because he's only 18, driving a hotted up car, and he's probably starting to regret that by now. Another thing that some people sometimes do for the wrong reasons is volunteer for a ministry. Now, it's great to volunteer for a ministry at church, to do something to serve and to help out, but sometimes people do it for the wrong reasons. Maybe they want to kind of fit in with that group, or maybe they just want to go along and have some fun there. Maybe they think it's going to be a great place to meet a few chicks and get respected there. And um, it's probably not a good idea to do it if you're doing it for the wrong reasons. There's consequences that come with that. Sometimes the things we do for the wrong reasons are because of our insecurities. Wanting to prove ourselves or be accepted, maybe wanting to prove ourselves to ourselves or maybe wanting to prove ourselves to others. Maybe because we want someone or a whole bunch of people to think more highly of us. And the reality is, I think, that happens a lot, that we do things because we want to get noticed. And the reality is it's not just something that happens out there in the world, but it's something that happens in here in the church and also for us as Christians. So God's call to us is to closely examine our hearts about why we are doing the things that we're doing and to make sure, that we're not, make sure that we are doing it for the right reasons. And if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, either change your reasons or your motivations. Have a close look at your heart and change or it's probably a good time to step out of doing that thing. Moving back onto the topic of prayer. If you're praying for the wrong reasons, then your prayers are not going to be so effective. At the end of verse 5 here, Jesus says that those people who pray in order to receive praise or recognition from others have already received their reward in full. 
So sure, people will notice, but that's not what prayer is all about. In verse 6, Jesus goes on to give some advice about how we should pray. And when he does, he uses this thing called hyperbole. So that means that rather than speaking literally, he's trying to make a point so he uses a really extreme example. Jesus says you should go into your room and pray in secret with no one watching at all. Don't tell anyone about it. Just go and do it in private, in secret. That way, and if you do that, you can be sure you're not praying for the wrong reasons. Now, Jesus does that a few times where he, rather than speaking literally, he uses hyperbolic language. He does that in the Sermon on the Mount. He does it when he wants to really strongly make a point. So it's an important point. He wants it to stick in your minds and for you to not forget it. And he wants you to realise how serious this thing is. He wants people to get the point. When he's talking about sin in the previous chapter, he says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. And when he's talking about giving to the poor, he says, when you give to the needy, don't, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So he's wanting to use some really strong language here. And that's why he says, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, do it in a completely secret place. Now, Jesus is not trying to ban prayer in public. Some people could come out of this and say, the only time we should pray is in our room with the door locked when no one knows about it. But I don't think that is Jesus' intention here. He's not trying to ban public prayer. But he is saying, we shouldn't just pray when people are watching. But we should pray regardless of whether or not anyone is watching. Regardless if anyone even knows that we're praying. Because we remember what prayer is all about. It's not about performing or talking to other people, but it's about communicating with our loving God. It's God that we're speaking with. So at this point, we need to really allow God's word to challenge us about our true motives for prayer. Prayer is not and never should be a public performance. And you should be motivated to pray passionately when you're on your own, not just when you're up front. So pray passionately on your own. In that way, just find a secret place, a great little quiet place where you can worship God and pray and connect with him in a really personal way. That's the best place for connecting with God in a personal way. And when, if and when you do pray in church or Bible study, that prayer should just be an overflow of your personal times with God. Then in verses 7 and 8, we get some more guidance on how we should pray. Jesus says here, Don't keep babbling on, thinking you'll be heard because of your many words. Now, it can be easy for us to start to think that God will be more likely to answer our requests if we use long phrases or if we do really long prayers or if we use some really cool like sanctified language or we might even be more likely to answer our prayers if we pray really loud like some people do or in a raised voice. But Jesus here seems to be saying, don't worry about all that because all that stuff, that won't make so much difference as what you might think. Because remember, prayer is all about communicating in the context of that relationship. It's a relationship where God knows everything about you. He knows all your thoughts. He knows why we're talking. He knows what we're thinking, not just what we're saying. And he knows how we're feeling about him. So it's a waste of time to try to hide anything. And it's a waste of time to try to put on a show for him. 
Just use normal language that you would normally use in the day-to-day. What we need to do when we pray is just come humbly before our God with heaps of respect. And as we do that, we can speak gladly coming before him, speak from the heart in plain language. We can tell him, acknowledge before him exactly how we're feeling, what we're thinking, and we can be completely open with him. There's a few things I'll mention which won't help your prayers so much, but what will help your prayers? Well, there's a great verse in James chapter 5 that says, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So the prayer of a righteous person really works. It really makes a difference. So when you're living the way God wants you to live, your prayers are more likely to be answered. Then also in Luke 18, Jesus tells a story about prayer. And he tells us a story in the hope that we will pray persistently and not give up. So he's saying, I want you to pray a lot and repeatedly. There was this lady who kept on pestering a judge because she wanted to get justice. And finally she gets it because of her persistence. And Jesus finishes by saying that if we keep on pestering God for justice, then we will have our prayers answered. So be persistent. Now you notice in the story, this woman, when she's going to the judge, she wasn't going to the judge saying, Judge, I need more money. Can you give me more money? But she was going saying, I need justice. That's something that's good. That's something that's in the will of God. God wants people to receive justice. She was asking for that and Jesus says justice will be granted for those who persistently ask God for it. And that leads us on to the next thing, that when we pray, we should pray prayers that are selfless. So don't just pray selfish prayers. Like don't just pray, oh God, please help me to know what to, what to wear today. I'm just not sure if I should wear this shirt or this shirt, these shoes or these shoes. God, what am I going to do? How do you reckon God feels about those sort of prayers? Does he ever answer them? He does, sometimes. He gives us a bit of guidance, shows us what we should wear and it just seems to all suddenly make sense. But that's not the main thing we should be praying about. Or we might pray, especially if you live in the city like up in Sydney, God, help me to get through this traffic. Help me to get a parking spot. Or at McDonald's, help me to get through this line a bit quicker. Or we might pray, God, please help me to make more money. Do you think God gets excited about that sort of prayer? Not heaps. So it's good to pray things that are in line with God's will. When you do this, when you ask for things that you know that God wants for you and for this world, God's heart just gets warmer. He gets excited and he's more likely to answer it with yes. So the things that God really loves to answer prayers on and with a resounding yes is when we pray for justice for ourselves or for others, when we pray for peace in the world around us or amongst our friends in our lives, when we pray for love, God gets excited and he wants to answer that sort of prayer. That's a selfless prayer. Pray for God's glory. God loves to answer that sort of prayer. Or when you pray that God will lead you and guide you as you seek to live for him, God gets excited. Or instead of praying that you'll get through the line a bit quicker, why not pray that God will give you patience? When you pray for that, when you ask that, God nearly always gives you more patience. 
And as we'll see next Sunday night in the next few verses of Matthew chapter 6, we should pray that God's kingdom will come here on, her, here on earth as it is in heaven. We should pray with faith. So many times in the Gospels, more times than we can think to talk about right now, we see that Jesus does something in response to people's faith. It's like when people have that faith that God is going to answer a prayer and do something, when Jesus is going to come and heal someone, it just happens, just almost automatically. It's just incredible to see. Read through some of that during the week and just see how clearly these answers to prayer come in response to people's faith. So have faith when you pray. Believe that God will hear your prayers and believe that he will answer your prayers. But just be open to the way in which he'll answer them because he might not answer them in the way that you're hoping or thinking he would. And when you pray, pray in a way that loves Jesus. So worship God, hear his word, read his word, worship him in song or just in normal words or in your actions. But when your heart is full of love for him, and you're wanting to see God's will done, then our prayers will be so much more intimate and engaging and so much more in line with his will and his plan. Now, just as we come to the end of tonight's passage, there's a great little concept there, and I've written it on the bottom of your little handout. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Isn't that a profound thing? Like we're being told to pray to God, to speak to him, ask him for stuff and communicate with him. We don't have to go and ask him as though he doesn't know because he already knows our heart and he knows what we need before we ask him. That's a really powerful and profound point. He loves us and we'll get on this topic more next week as we look at the idea of God's will being done in our lives and in the world around us and God's kingdom coming. And sometimes we see in life there's a real big difference between what we want and what we really need or what might be good for us. Now, being a parent is a really profound experience and a life-changing experience. I've been a parent now for six and a half years or so. And it's amazing just reflecting upon it. It helps you to understand some things about how God sees us sometimes. Because kids ask for all sorts of things. They come up with some really strange things. Some things are good for them and some things are bad for them. And often... Like, I have a better understanding of what they need than what they think they need. Like at night time, it might be 8 o'clock at night, they might say, Daddy, can we stay up all night and watch DVDs? No, you can't. It wouldn't be good for you. And then they think I'm really rotten. They think I'm the worst dad in the world because I say, now it's time for bed. But if they ask at 7.30 or 8 o'clock at night, Dad, I'm tired. Can I go to bed now? Amen. Yes, you can. Go for it. That'll be good for you. Good for all of us. When they're living so much more healthily the next day. Or they might say they're kind of halfway through their dinner. And it's like, oh, Dad, can I leave the table now? No. And I say, oh, why not? I want to. It's like, well, if you do, you're going to be hungry in half an hour's time and then that's going to be a problem. They might have had a whole lot of lollies already and they say, Dad, can I have more lollies? No, you can't. You're just going to get sick if you do, as you do most days from having too many lollies. If they come and say to me, Dad, can I help with some jobs around the house? What am I going to say? Love it. Awesome stuff. Dad, can I play on the street? No, not a good idea. I even had a time this year where 
little Ben, my four-year-old, he said, Daddy, can I play with this knife? <laughs> yeah, no worries, go for it, eh? Ah, oh, you don't. You can't do that at all. But it's amazing some of the things that kids ask for from their parents. Do you know what's even more amazing? Some of the things we ask God for. Some of them are like saying to God, God, can I play with this knife? Can I point this gun at myself? Can I play on the street? Can I play handball on the freeway? That's the sort of thing, not exactly that, but that sort of thing is sometimes the sort of stuff that we ask God for. You know, sometimes I think with my kids, they think I'm really nasty and they think I just want to hold things back from them. They don't appreciate that I actually have the best interest in heart for them. Now think about our lives and with God. God doesn't always say yes to our questions, to our prayer requests. But God knows what we need before we ask him. And there's such a big difference between what we need and what we want. And there's always also such a big difference between what we want and what God wants for our lives. So when you pray, feel free to ask God for anything. But when you do ask him for things and when you bring things before him, be open to the ways in which he might answer your prayers. God might just be in the process of blessing you or leading you. You might be hoping that this thing over here is going to work or that that door is going to open, but in the end that door closes and another one opens. You might have thought that you wanted or needed something in particular, but in the end God had a bigger and better and more awesome thing in mind because he had the bigger picture in mind and he knows what's going on. So come to God. Instead of saying, God, can I have this? God, can I have that? Bring things before him. Put it before him and say, God, please lead me, guide me. Show me your guidance and your leading through these situations. So it's so important for us over these next couple of weeks, both morning and night sermons, that we really form our beliefs and our practices, not upon what we think is best, but upon what God says. And that's why we're studying this stuff closely about what Jesus says about prayer. We need to pray when we pray passionately and personally. Use natural language, just be open and honest. Don't show off. It's a waste of time, especially in front of God. Don't show off in the way you pray or in volunteering to do stuff, but do stuff because God has led you to do that and because you know it's good to serve. And when you pray, remember you can come before God anytime, anywhere and about anything. And make sure you do take the time to pray because prayer is that way that we can communicate and relate to um, this incredible, powerful God, this God who created not just me and you or this place, this country, this world, this universe. God created this universe. He is so awesome, so big and so mighty. We can just come before him and communicate with him anytime. And in so doing, we can grow in our relationship with him. So let's keep thinking about how we can pray. And let's make sure this week that we just get stuck in and do it and come before God in prayer like we never have before. Let's pray right now and then we're going to take some time to worship God and we're going to finish off. Dear Father, we are so grateful for your word, um, the Bible, where you give us such clear guidance about how we should do things, especially like prayer. And Father, we pray that you would just really closely examine all our hearts. Lord, we just bear all before you. And we say, God... We want you to lead us and show us how we should pray. 
Lord, give us a greater desire to pray because prayer is such a wonderful thing. Thank you for this kind of tool, this way of growing in our relationship with you. And we pray that by it and through it, we may all really grow in our relationship with you this week, this month and this year. Lord, we thank you for all your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Sam.